This is such a necessary and needful study for knowing and understanding where we are today. Um, the assault against the truth and God's word is real. Um, Frankie Garibaldi linked David and I an <laughs> article on Snopes.com. Snopes is, the, hey, is a true kind of website, but it tends to be very progressive in their leaning and the article was stating that young earth creationism is a conspiracy and is dangerous to the culture <laughs> but that's what we're facing okay that if you espouse a six-day creation and you believe that the earth is is not billions and billions and billions of years old okay um uh, you're dangerous and we will shut you down, and you will have no say in the sciences because you're obviously anti-science because that's what the article says. So these, these, are, these are some things that you're going to get hit with uh, in your life. And so that is why we have painstakingly walked through Genesis. We are going to actually try to zorch through three chapters this morning, uh, Genesis 6, 7, and 8. Uh, and address the flood. Um, obviously, I'm not going to go into the flood in great detail. It's going to be an overview here. Uh, and so we're going to look in a little greater depth at the beginning section leading up to the flood. We'll kind of zorch through the flood in about 10 minutes and kind of the aftermath of the flood as well. So without further ado, we're going to plunge into... Um, a very controversial chapter, or section, a paragraph, we'll say a paragraph. Um, let's see, Sarah, would you read verses 1 through 4 of Genesis 6, please? When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attracted, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Okay. Who are the sons of God? Angels? Who are the sons of God? Man. Man. <clears throat> Which is it? Both. It's debated. It is debated. Man, you get, you, get, you get conservative Christian scholars who are going to, you know, not come to blows, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. This is one of those things where, man, we can really agree to disagree about. Okay? But... Um, why, in simply reading that, might you think it's something not man? Because in verse 4 it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and those were like monster people. Okay, giants, Nephilim. Yeah, also the giants. Okay. You know, why would you say that men and wives, men have wives and they have children? You know, why would you go to the point and say they came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. Isn't that like normal? 
Okay, and so you go, that's kind of weird, this men of renown thing. Um, there's a couple of verses in the New Testament that hint maybe to the fact that this really was a thing. And, and so, uh, Royal, if you would, would you turn to Second Peter? And Amira, would you turn to Jude? So we in the back. Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Okay. It's kind of a fragment right there. But essentially, that's the, that's the gist of it. If God did not spare the angels, but cast them into hell, bound them in change, chains in, re, in reservation of judgment, you go, wow. I thought the demons were like out and about. I mean, didn't Jesus cast out demons? That brings up another question for me. When is that reference? Okay, hang on. Hang on. Good, good. Like I said, this is going to leave everybody with nothing but questions, which is why we're not going to wade here too too awful long. But um, aren't, aren't demons out and about? Did Jesus not cast demons out of sick people? Yes, absolutely. Are there some that are in chains? Yes, absolutely. Who are these ones? Who are these angels that sinned? What was their sin that God would see fit to go, you have crossed the line. I've given you freedom on the earth, but you went too far. Was it here in Genesis chapter 6, potentially? Jude, verses 5 through 7, Amir. The verse 5 adds some context that could be referring to Genesis 6 there. With the flood? Helpful, yeah. I'm referring okay. to the very next verse you're talking about Noah. So that's another context for maybe. Good. 5 through 7? 5 through 7, please. But I want to remind you, though, once, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness. So for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so again, you see an angelic host who essentially crossed a line and he's using as an example Sodom and Gomorrah who crossed the line of sexual immorality. So is, it, is there a potentiality that this angelic group actually did go in to the women? Now, Arnold brings up a question, when was this binding and such? We don't get that in Scripture. All we hear is that it was done under the apostolic authority of both Peter and Jude. Here. It also refers in Genesis that it was before and after the flood that the Nephilim were okay. in the land. Um, the, let's see. A problem with it being angels is what Jesus Christ says in Matthew 22, verse 30 about angels in heaven. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. Just to, to exemplify that we are going to be like the angelic host in heaven, 
where marriage is not really going to be a thing. That's a whole other discussion. But shouldn't that be part of how they stepped over the line? There you go. So that's the way it is amongst the good guys in heaven. This is the way it is. But there are those who are reserved for destruction. They went into the daughters of man. Okay, that's that the angelic right. that marriage was not yeah, a thing. And that so this demonic a... host manifests itself as man, manifests itself somehow. I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to go all Frank Peretti on you guys here. Um, uh, but we see that this is a thing. Am I going to accept this as it is? And at the same time, I go, okay, we can di- agree to disagree on it. But we see it's a bad thing. We get that. Go ahead, Isn't Joseph. Fair to say there's two separate rebellions in the rebellion of Lucifer, and then the angels rebelled against God at some time past, and there's another rebellion of the sons of God that the noun that it keeps using in Genesis 6 and really in the New Testament is that they were angels. They weren't fallen angels doing this, but they were angels who left their own, who did not see within their own position of authority. So going into the daughters of men itself may have been the rebellion that turned them into demons and sent them to uh, chains of darkness. I would, and again, this is where I don't want to, I would think it would be part of the fallen host that fell with Lucifer in the beginning, and then these, a group of the demonic realm essentially went further, leading to them being, and they would still be angels. It brings up a, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and did the virgin birth. It's implying then what we're thinking that angels can do the same thing. Different, because this there there's an implication of sexuality here, but not with the virgin birth. There's not an implication of God having sex no, with Mary. A, a spirit being yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. I think there's evidence that Genesis six is referring to physical beings and the men of renown and the the file file and that they're that it's actual physical. The product the product of this union was something different. What we're saying is possession was something different. I don't know. The three visitors that visited Abraham, I think the most common account is that one was Jesus, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, and then two other angels. God, angel God incarnate. Manifest. God manifested. Yeah. In some kind of theophany. Okay. But Jesus also referred to people as sons of God. Now, we, talk, we talked about that in, in Psalm 82 on, on Wednesday night. And he also referred to people as sons of the devil. But yes. they were all people. They were all human beings <laughs> that chose... To be a son of God or a son of man or a son of the devil. And the in Psalm 82, when you read Psalm 82 that Jesus takes uh, from Matthew uh, there, uh, or that he quotes, I forget if it's Matthew or John. John. Thank you. You are God. Yes. Jesus is talking uh, within the temple and it is believed that what he is trying to do is create a conflict within the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If you read Psalm 82, Psalm 82 seems to imply an angelic counsel 
that God is meeting in there. Uh, Jesus, speaking of that, the, knowing the Sadducees aren't going to buy that, he's going to go, well, God calls us all sons of God, so why do you have an issue with me calling myself a son of God? If, if God allows that the angels are deemed sons of God, why would you have an issue with man being deemed a son of God? And so why are you trying to throw stones at me? All right. Bottom line, bad things are happening on the earth right there. And this leads us really into the cause of the flood in verses 5 through 8. Jerry, would you read uh, 5 through 8, please? Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things, and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. How bad off was the earth in that day? Probably about like now. I mean, I love the words. It's like, in case you missed it, here's, here's a couple more adjectives uh, to throw in. Uh, was great. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart, it doesn't say was evil continually, was only evil continually. I mean, you wake up with thoughts of depravity, you eat breakfast with thoughts of depravity and debauchery, and what can I do at noon, and, you know, uh, and it was, it, was, it was bad. And probably the big difference between then and now is now our lives are limited in length, where then they were living 800, 900 years yep. old. Could you imagine how evil someone could get? You guys know what 900 en years? entropy is? Mm -hmm. Things move from a state of order to a state of disorder. And you see the reality of spiritual entropy. I mean, man left to himself is going to be a mess apart from the work of God in his life. It's just the way it is. And you can see it here in spades. Okay? But notice God's response. This, this is incredible. Um... You see the grief of God. Now, we go, oh, the King James says, I repent that I made man. The ESV says, I regret that I made man. Uh, Jerry's translation, I'm sorry that I made man. Isn't God immutable? side and not tell a lot of the Christians home later and blah, blah, blah. Like, that was one of the things that was hard for me to like God he seems bipolar I didn't see that coming man <laughs> yeah like, like uh, and then when I'm a Christian you know like God is all of these things and then you're like but if he's all of those things how can he regret is, isn't he om omniscient isn't yeah. he all knowing did he, did he not oh man I never saw that coming and we go yes he's immutable he is unchanging. Yes, he's omniscient. The word here, translated regret, sorry, implies sorrow. The word 
again, even the word regret, uh, in looking it up, the word regret can mean to think of with a sense of loss. To feel sorrow. That is, that's a King James thing. Repent means I'm sorry for what I did. Yeah, well, the sorrow that comes back from that. John Piper in Desiring God um, provides a look at God's overarching sovereignty and the peace of the deep ocean. That is his overarching sovereignty in his designs. Kind of a macroscopic view and understanding. But when you get down into the microscopic, where God is dealing here, we see a tender heart. Mm -hmm. That the wickedness of man grieves the living God. Sorrows the living God. So sorry that, you know... Oh, you know, that, that, I, that I even made them. That I even made them. You know, he knew, he knew this was going to happen. And to see it fleshing out, literally, is a grief to the soul of the living God. That blows me away. Grieved him to his heart. And so, the only way to go, okay, we are going to start again. We're going to do a global reset on this whole thing. I'm going to choose one and his family, and I'm going to do an extraordinary thing. The last verse was read, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Please never underestimate, saint, the power of a righteous life of a life well lived. Even in the darkness of a family, even in the darkness of a job, to shine as a light, to not succumb, to not buckle. His character, verse 9 <clears throat> These are the generations of Noah. There's that, that theme that we see in Genesis. Here are the generations of. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Romans says there is none righteous. No, not one. The Bible's full of contradictions. What say you? Okay. But they're opposite ends, if I could use that word. There is none righteous in and of himself, of themselves. What makes a man unrighteous? Himself. Himself. When? When was he unrighteous? When he was born. When he was born. He started unrighteous. Is there a man on this earth, woman, man, mankind, male, female? Grant me that. 
Well, I, I, you know, the fact that this is this goes out on the internet, I'm I'm going to be arrested one day. I know this. Um, is there any who hasn't sinned? No, no. Think of the roll of lifesavers I stole from Bill Superette you know, when I was this high. You know, I mean, you know, the disobedience to your parents. I mean, we could, you could, you could list list them all. And so, understand, Scripture does declare people righteous. Uh, Elizabeth uh, and Zechariah, John's parents, were deemed righteous. Job is deemed righteous. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but they walked with God. I mean, they loved the Lord. Uh, sure, they sinned. But their heart was inclined toward God in all of their doings and their beings. So God tasks Noah with a boat. Here we go. Flood in 10 minutes. He makes a big boat. Commands him to make a boat. How big is this boat? Big. Big. Anybody see, been to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky? Boy, the Snopes, the Snopes guys really took shots at that too. Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis sweet. Uh, it's amazing. If you get a chance to go, it's amazing. Uh, it, we loved it. Uh, it was great. 450 feet long. Okay, 450 feet long. Football field is 300 feet long. So you got a football field and a half in length. This thing is ginormous. 45 feet high. So that's 10, 10 foot per story in buildings-ish. So it's as high as a four-story building, bigger, taller than this building is, 75 feet wide. Not quite as wide as a football field. Big, long box. Three decks within this thing. Verse 18, God says, I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your wife, your sons, your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every thing into the ark to keep them alive with you. God brings them to him uh, all in accordance with their kind. So God makes a covenant with Noah and Noah throughout these chapters verses 6 and 7 at the end of chapter 6. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Verse, chapter 7 verse 1 the Lord says to him, you are righteous before me in this generation. Verse 5, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Verse 16, at the end, he went in as God had commanded him. Noah was faithful with his tasking. Verse 16, at the end, God shut him in. God shut the door. And then at 600 years old. So this is, it's interesting here with all of the timekeeping going back to Genesis chapter 5 and all of the ages. People were obviously keeping track of time. The passage of time. The passage of years. The passage of days. And the like. The understanding of months that go by in that time. So we see in chapter 7, verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, boom, 
Where did the water come from? Above and below. Yep. The fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. Okay? And water poured forth onto the earth. It rained. It rained for 40 days. Okay? It rained, but the flood increased to 150 days. Okay? 150 days. Verse 34 of chapter 7. The waters prevailed on the earth this way before they started to ebb. In verse 19 of chapter 7, so significant was this flood. A lot of, a lot of people argue, well, it had to be a localized flood. Um, it, it, the text doesn't give you that. I'm sorry. You, you either got either to either believe what it says or rip it out of your Bible. You go, I just... I'm, because it doesn't offer that to you. Verse 19, the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, 25, 23, 25 feet. Ish. Nothing. With all of that water on the earth, verse 21, all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. How complete was death on the earth? Pretty. What didn't die? The fish. The fish. <clears throat> you know, things in the ocean. They're going, wow. I bet a lot of fish died. <laughs> yeah, I bet they did. That's a whole nother, where'd the fresh and salt water come from? All right, um, because it's obviously all mixed here. So the water's prevailed for 150 days. Everything starts to retreat. So if we, I know it's a lunar calendar, but essentially we're assuming, Feb, let's just call it February 17th is when this all happened. Everything was flooded July 16th to a depth of 25 feet, and the waters began to recede and were gone December 13th, 150 days later. Okay, if you're going through tracking the 150-day tick marks here. They come to rest on Ararat, Gugunk, in the seventh month. Okay, in July, essentially, they hang up on Ararat in chapter 8 and verse 4. Verse 13 of chapter 8. In the, 600, in the 601st year, first month, first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth, and Noah removed the covering on the ark. It still didn't leave yet. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out, and then God said, go out from the ark. So if he went in, if they went in on the second month, 17th day, they come out second month, 27th day, they were in that boat for over a year. Okay. Crazy. Unbelievable. Why did God do this? 
was sorry he had made man. Okay. And he wanted to reestablish his covenant yeah. with Abraham. So it would have been unnecessary if men followed after God. Men did not follow after God. And so this is, you get a glimpse. If God is, if God goes, okay, you guys all do what you want. In 1,500 years, you're going to get this. This is what you get. This is the community you get when everybody does what they want. Kind of what we're advocating today. You know, hey, personal autonomy, that's the, that is the overarching uh, thing in the world today. That is the most important thing. Everybody do what you want. That doesn't work out so good. Yeah, no, man. I mean, I all I got to do is look in the mirror and go, yeah, I get it. I get it. Hopefully, that's true for each one of you. You understand the own dark, the the darkness in your own heart, and God's great grace in bringing you forth. God says to Noah. In verse 15, go out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons, your wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. The critters are going to come out and do what? Multiply, make babies. Okay, do animals ever concern themselves with birth control? Are they wringing their little mandibles concerned about overpopulation? Just like Mackie. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. They have some natural built-in instincts now, so they, they know when times are right and when times are wrong. So sometimes they do slow down their reproduction. Tell that to the bunnies in my backyard. Except for bunnies. Yeah. <laughs> Are yeah. they, they have to. So God, God essentially says, be fruitful and multiply. We will see that given to mankind again, coming out of the ark next week, when we look at the aftermath. Uh, pick it up in chapter 8, verse 20 here. Um, Noah built an altar to the Lord, took some of every clean animal... And some of every clean bird, bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So we see a promise from God. I'm not going to destroy the earth in this manner again. He'll, that will come out again in chapter 9. But there's also a sober assessment from God with regard to even Noah and his sons. 
God is not looking through rose-colored glasses thinking, okay, now this one's going to work. Because Noah's righteous before me. God knows his creatures. God knows with the curse that is upon the creatures now that sin and death reign in them, that they are born little liars, little traitors, who are going to shake their pudgy fists at the living God. He knows this. He says this right here. And yet we see his grace. He doesn't just, doesn't destroy the whole earth. He saves a family. Because he made a promise to Adam that he hasn't forgotten. What was the promise to Adam? Well, the, the promise that the son of man shall crush the head of the Oh, that, yes. Long term. So God... You know, There's two things going on here. God's not thinking on the fly. Yeah. God has purpose in all of this. Um, interesting verse 22. What does verse 22 tell you about um, There's an end to the global warming, cooling... Yeah. Is is going to be hot this summer here in Texas? No. Yep. Is it going to be really cold next week? Yep. yep. It's going to be Minnesota cold next week. Uh, and no snow. And no snow, sadly. Um, so seasons are going to happen because of the tilt of the axis, because where God put us in the solar system and the heating of the earth and all that jazz, it's going to happen now. It's going to happen. Summers are going to be hot. Winters are going to be cold. It is the nature of the creation that way. So that's really the flood in in ten minutes was longer. Please. I've had difficulty understanding God's logic in verse twenty one before asking for some help. I will never again curse the ground because of man, because the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. In some ways, the Lord cursed the earth or destroyed the earth with the flood mm -hmm. because, Genesis 6, 5, the intentions of man's heart are evil all the time. Yeah. Here, I will never again do it because the intentions of man's heart are evil all the time. It seems like a, a different choice but the same context or similar context. He's also referring to the ground, so there's a slight nuance difference. I've done, I have done a thing. I'm not going to do that thing again. I'm making, I am making a promise to you this was, this was not a, okay, I'm going to do this again in 1,500 years because you guys are just sick. I would see it like spanking a toddler but not spanking a teenager. I mean, you, you change your behavior intentionally because you're, God had a plan that included the creation and the flood and eventual salvation. Um, yeah. Again, God's, God's purpose is unfolding. There's, yeah. we and this will, this will kind of drive to our takeaways at the end. God, God's judgment is going to come. God is not just going to sit back in his barca lounger and sip a mint julep thinking, oh, you know, that's a bummer. I don't think that it's that you, you say, like, okay, I'm going to say my toddler, but not my teenager. Let me know when that happens, by the way. Like, you don't 
it's not a, that's like an indication that we learn and we do we continue to do better and we don't revert back to those things. Mm -hmm. But we see that that's not true. That's she even says continue. it. Even says it right there. Yes, and so I think it's more of a like I see the devastation that this caused, and so like on the earth, like you have to think of the physical devastation that the physical earth had from such a mass casualty yeah. to itself. Yeah. And so to say, I won't do this again, not because you're not going to behave this way again, but just because it was so devastating. Like, there will be other things that happen. This is a very clear indicator to us just what happens to us when we're left to our own devices. Yeah. I read that as the, the curse from Adam and Eve is where I see that curse. I don't, like, Noah, you know, cursing the earth. And Noah, that's not, when I read that text, I was... I thought of the curse from Adam and Eve's fall. Mm -hmm. yeah, more to that crazy. than the flood. Yeah, more to that than the flood. Like, because okay. when Adam and Eve sinned, he cursed the earth to bring up briars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so that, like, when I read that text, that's the curse that I was thinking of. The curse of Adam is still present. Here. Yeah, absolutely. It's ongoing, yeah. right? So I, not, yeah, because yeah, he didn't say he got rid of it. Back. He's not going to yep. give it another one. Okay. I have a footnote for the word curse there. Dishonor. Dishonor, and yeah. I just wonder yeah. if it's it's not the same yeah. Hebrew word. I don't know. I didn't compare it with the word curse in Genesis chapter 3. Somebody pull out your blue letter Bible. And pull yeah, that's what I'm doing. Now, once again, boys and girls, we are going to be mocked for believing there was a worldwide geological flood. Okay? Now, really, come on. Okay. Here are the evidences. Here are just a few of the evidences for a worldwide flood. And for flyers, guys who fly, who've flown a lot, and can look at the earth from on high, you see all over the scars of something very big and large uh, that happened to the earth. Um, one guy mocking Christians noted that sedimentary rock covers the earth up to a mile deep. Sedimentary rock, meaning sediment settled layer upon layer a mile deep all over the earth, all across the continents. There is a layer of sedimentary rock in the Grand Canyon that extends up all the way into Wisconsin and all the way across the ocean into Israel and Libya a single layer of sedimentary rock. Um, what was his intent in mocking Christians for that? No, it was a full article, but in that article he he, he just noted the, the sedimentary layer, but I won't do that. It just plays right into the hands of Christians. Where, where does sedimentary rock come from but from settling layers from, from a flood? Um, interesting to note for geologists as they track these sedimentary layers you know, through the Grand Canyon that's a great place to see them uh, sometimes in, in Wisconsin they, they blow up a hillside so they can put a road through and you go through and you can see all the, the layers of sediment there and there is no erosion in between the layers of sediment you don't see thickening and thinning it stays fairly consistent all the way across. And you would not expect that. You would expect erosion to take place 
in these sedimentary layers if they were laid down at significantly different times. Um, another extraordinary thing about the sedimentary layers is they bend. You know, there are places where sedimentary layers that like will have a big bend in them and they don't break. It's rock. I mean, right now it's rock. And if you try to bend it now, boom, you know, you're going to have like an earthquake type of thing. It's just going to snap. It's not going to bend like that. It would have to have all been pliable at a time when the earth was heaving for it to be able to bend like that. You've got polystrate fossils as well where the fossil crosses through layers of strata. You go... Go ahead, Justin. I'm not a geologist, caveat. But uh, if it was one big event in the flood and all of this mile deep of sediment rock was laid in one event, wouldn't there be more of a homogenous nature to the rock? And it wouldn't be layered with different colors because it's all kind of getting mixed up in the water? Yes. So if... The fountains of the earth break forth. Okay, it's coming out of the earth. Where? I don't know, all over? Um, how much dirt is being thrown into the water with all of this? Tons. Tons. Plus being dissolved. Okay, so the earth is essentially vomiting, the whole earth. You know, we don't get the idea that it just came out of one spot but that the earth is essentially breaking open and you have all of the sediment. And different sedimentary layers settle at different rates depending on the sediment. And so you're going to get, you would think, layering based on the minerals that are in the water. Um, fossils. Okay, so sedimentary rock is a great evidence for a worldwide flood, especially the depth of it. Fossils. How do you create a fossil? Having the right mineral concentration. Water. Water. <laughs> Something's got to die, and it's got to be buried. And it's got to be buried fast, and it's got to be buried under a heavy weight, and there's got to be water involved. Because if something simply dies on the surface of the land, what's going to happen to it? Yeah. Decay. Decay, it's going to get picked apart, it's, it's not going to be there. I mean, I remember driving to work when I, we lived in Burke Burnett, and we, I passed a place where there was a bunch of steer, and a steer died on the guy's field. He just left it there. And it was there, and it, it just went, and pretty soon it wasn't there anymore. It wasn't there. I mean, erosion and such, it's, it's going to go away. Um, where are there fossils in the world? All over. All over. Okay, there are fossils all over. What kind of fossils are all over? All kinds of fossils. Marine fossils, oceanic-type fossils on the tops of mountains. Tropical fossils buried in the ice in the Antarctic. Hmm. Fossils abound. Flood legends. Third one. Every culture's got a flood legend. It was really interesting when we were in Mexico and we were reading, like I read a thing about it, about the Mayans, mm -hmm. and talked mm -hmm. about, you know, a flood that they... Yep. Here you go. Hmm. Hmm. Golly. 
And so um, my exhortation to you is don't be ashamed of speaking confidently of what God's word says because the evidence is there for what God has done. Frankie shared a word, it's called Origins video, you're some scientists, and genetically, and it's interesting, there's a bottleneck. Um, you know, if you look genetically wise, there's like this small little bottleneck, you know, in their timeline of, but it's like, you mean like we're all descended from one family? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Crazy. Okay, just some quick takeaways from this. And I mentioned one already. Man's wickedness will incur God's judgment. It did then. It will in the future. God has stated the day of the Lord is coming. And oh dear, it will be as devastating as it was then and should move us toward those who do not know the Lord. Um, man's wickedness does affect the living God. How much more for a saint, for the one who is blood-bought in Christ, how much does my sin as a Christian grieve God's heart? Let us, let, let's not think that God is just sitting up there as a stoic in heaven and really doesn't. Who, who hurts us more than the people that we love the most? And, and think about someone who loves all of us more than we're even capable of loving. How The pain yeah. that that must bring. Yes. Man, I, I just hope that really sinks in God's heart. God cares about his creatures. Um, yes, Virginia, there was a flood. <laughs> and yes, God saved one family from which to start again. It is true. And the last thing is one that we've, I've iterated already, and that is, man, amazing the things that God can do with one righteous man and one righteous family. And so if you think you're all alone, man, keep fighting. Keep fighting. Fix your eyes on Jesus and, and don't, don't give in. Don't capitulate. Don't throw in the towel. Keep running. Any other thoughts? Please, Trace. I looked up the words for curse, and yes. in Genesis chapter 3, it's curse. Yep. And then the other one in Genesis chapter 8, it's a different Hebrew word, and it can mean different things, but one of the things it can mean is to shake, mm. which makes me think of Hebrews 12, the end of Hebrews 12, where it's talking about the earth that God has shaken, and then it says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Mm. Nice. That was interesting. Excellent. Love that. Pays to study the Word of God. Awesome. Uh, let's bow here. Father, we thank you for the truth of your Word uh, that we would not be shaken, that we would stand fast and stand firm, that we would be an unashamed people for your glory. We beg this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>